Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Lauren Gabe here. Happy Pride Month. It's June 7th and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns and this week it's Gabe's turn to choose the topics. For our discussion of all things queer, he chose Netflix's new film, The Dance of the 41. For our conversation on all things sports, we're talking about Naomi Osaka withdrawing from the French Open. And for our topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we have the San Francisco Giants new pride gear. After that, we're going to share our interview with Team DC member club, the DC Frontrunners. First, an update on Team DC. Today is the last day of Team DC's Pride Week 2021. The virtual celebration has featured content from Pride Night Out partners, including the Washington Nationals, the Washington Capitals, and Old Glory DC. A conversation between out professional soccer player Colin Martin and Team DC's 2021 college scholarship recipients and an exclusive interview with the Washington Mystics regarding social activism in sports. You can view all this year's content at teamdc.org. For the end of Pride Week, we're holding an online live panel discussion tonight, June 7th at 6 p.m. There's still time to register, so go to Team DC's Facebook page now to find the event information and register. You can also catch the panel streaming live tonight on teamdc.org. Tonight's panel, Changing the Game, is brought to you by Team DC and the team behind the new Hulu original documentary, Changing the Game, a film that features the stories of three transgender high school student athletes turned activists. Watch Changing the Game now on Hulu and don't miss our live panel discussion featuring Andrea Yearwood, one of the students featured in the film, and other trans activists. Team DC's silent auction fundraiser is also ending tonight. Bidding ends at 8 p.m. tonight, June 7th, so get your final bids in now. The auction includes great sports memorabilia and tickets, including autographed jerseys from Steven Strasburg and Sean Doolittle, a jersey autographed by the D.C. United team, a jersey autographed by the Old Glory D.C. rugby team, a suite for a Washington Nationals game, a Natasha Cloud Washington Mystics jersey, a pair of Arcteryx trail running sneakers, and more. You can access the auction at teamdc.org. Our next night out event will be at the Washington Mystics on June 29th. More details coming soon. Be sure to follow Team DC and its member clubs on social media for updates. Find Team DC on Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Twitter and Instagram at Team DC Sports. Gabe and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all of your favorite podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast to help us out. And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe to Under the Bleachers for all of the latest news at the intersection of sports and queer. And now here's Gabe with our first topic in this week's trip for the bleachers. So for my queer topic, I chose Netflix El Baile de los 41, or The Dance of the 41. 
The film is based on real-life events that occurred in Mexico City during the turn of the 20th century. Alfonso Herrera of the Exorcist series, Queen of the South, and the Mexican novela Rebelde plays Ignacio de la Torre Mier, a Mexican socialite, politician, and closeted homosexual who is the son-in-law of the president and dictator Porfirio Diaz. Ignacio begins a romance with the government attorney Evaristo, played by Emiliano Zorita, and introduces him to a secret club for homosexual men. Members include politicians, businessmen, upper-class Mexicans, and they almost had the Emperor Maximilian also join. The movie kicks off in true Mexican cinema fashion with some racy sex scenes. Throughout the film, we see Ignacio deal with his secret romance as a gay man, pressures from his wife and father-in-law for a child, and his political aspirations. We also see Ignacio's wife, Amada Diaz, played by Mabel Cadena, deal with her husband's secrets. In the end, we reach what has been mostly folklore in Mexican gay history. On the night of November 17, 1901, police illegally raided a home in Mexico City where 42 men were hosting a ball and were arrested for, quote, offense of morals and good values. 19 men were dressed in drag as high society women. It was rumored that when President Porfirio Diaz heard what happened, he ordered the police to release Ignacio and not mention his involvement with the group. The men were subjected to public shaming and forced to perform community service still in drag from the night before. A few were able to pay for their freedom, while others were sent to the Yucatan to fight in the caste wars. Today, the number 41 is seen as taboo in Mexican culture, akin to the number 13. The number 41 and 42 are used today to, re to refer to gay Mexicans in popular culture. El Baile de los 41 is bringing a new life to the myth and a glimpse of gay Mexican history. I've personally been interested in this story for years, and I'm glad another version of the story is told to a wider audience. Okay, Laura, so have you heard of this uh, Baile de los 41? Heard anything about the film before I told you about it? Um, well, no, not before you told me about it, but I did see um, the little thing on Facebook, or um, on Netflix about it after you mentioned it to me. I haven't had a chance to watch the film yet, but I'm going to. Um, I'm really confused, though, about, like, is <laughs> the true story? Like, why is it many versions of a maybe true, maybe folklore? I, I don't it's, get it. <laughs> it's, it's just a weird thing because, uh, you know, the, a lot of people didn't want to talk about what happened, and it's just little accounts of it. Um, you hear, like, people telling stories of, what happened and also because it involved the son-in-law of the president he kind of erased everything yeah so well, it's more because he was a dictator and probably yeah. would have threatened I mean, people with their lives <laughs> he was an asshole dictator and he was in charge he was in charge of the country for 31 years so like this guy ruled everything but um yeah and his uh it's just people really don't know about it that's why they're saying like it, they, they call it the dance of the 41 but there was really 42 people there but you know if wow. you see in the movie, he just says they give him the list of all the people that got arrested. He's just like, oh, I only see 41. I don't know what you're seeing. And like the head of the police is like, but he's like, no, no, 41. Very like Miranda Priestly moment. Like, that's all. Walk away. That's all. Um, yeah. Well, I, um, let's it's see. Number one, I saw The Exorcist way too young in life and was completely uh, traumatized by it. And so Alfonso Herrera is a very, very scary individual. Uh, so there's that. But um, I always love a good drama about closeted homosexuals. So I will definitely check out the film. I, uh, you know, 
when it comes down to it, it's 1901. We're not surprised. Nowhere in the world was it not a secret if you were going to a drag ball around 1901. That was the cool thing. So it's, I mean, it's a period piece, right? So you see them in like tuxedos and you see them like dressed up as these like 19th century women, which is hilarious, but awesome. High but, society. <laughs> yes, very high society. And they're like showing them getting in drag. But it also, it goes deeper into some of the characters where like, you know, there's one very effeminate guy who gets kicked out of his house and he lives in this secret house and how like people in society just um, had to make these little clubs all over the place and how it was very hush-hush, but that's where they met and that's where they had these secret relationships and did all their, you know, things or whatever um but they were like talking about like oh yeah there's politicians um yeah the emperor of mexico the first emperor was supposedly one of the the members that helped found it but he was also killed and executed so he never made it to any of the parties or anything like that but uh that's another story this, you know, but this that. these things happen. We lose our heads when we're an emperor, but exactly. you know, it, it's uh, we had obviously like people have been doing this for generations, for centuries, like having yeah. little secret groups where you get together and you live your best life in secret because the rest of the world is a bunch of assholes. Like we know that. Um, and it's always great when it's people who do it in the most flamboyant of fashions, like, oh, let's yeah, together for a secret house party, but let's have a drag ball. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, and it was like every year they had a huge drag ball. Cheesy. You have to like dress up in high society gowns and party around. So good for them. But, you know, of course, like we also know that like people get hurt. Like, I'm sure yeah. that his wife, who was probably being pressured just as much as he was, like, if you think he was getting pressure to um, give his father-in-law a child, like, I'm sure she was getting pressured um, as much, if not more, and probably, oh, yeah. you know, was under, you know, a lot of scrutiny for her failure to give her douchebag father uh, an heir, um, which is... And that's tough, you know, and I'm sure that she suffered a lot as a result. And, you know, not that I'm, I'm not blaming anybody. I understand, like, why people um, get into these sort of false marriages, <laughs> particularly during a time where you could be persecuted for just being who you are. But, you know, let's not forget the other people who suffered as a result of all of this, um, including a woman who he probably on some level cared about and respected, right? Oh, yeah. And, it, and it, it's interesting, too, like, because I, I heard of this story kind of growing up and like people because like the number 41 is taboo. Like buildings don't some buildings don't have 41 floors. They don't have the 41 door. People will not turn 41. They will just skip it because it's just like such a, <laughs> like, you know, like the number 13. And it, it, yeah. it's so weird that like people don't know why. I mean, I don't know how 13 got such a bad rap. Do you? Yeah. Uh, there's the whole, there's a whole bunch of different stories, like whatever, like. I don't know, uh, but I bet you that. a lot of people in Mexico who like are afraid of the number forty-one don't know why. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't know the true meaning of the true story. And so they're they're like there's some uh, like scholars that were going back and they were talking about like the secret parties that were going around and stuff like that. And apparently, around the same time, there was another raid at a house with uh, a bunch of lesbians having a party, and that was not talked about at all. Like there is no documentation about anything. I don't think anybody got arrested. They were just like. Taken away, or I don't know what happened to them. <laughs> because but, the men were very confused. They yes. were like, "We don't understand what these we're women like, what are is doing, going on." But as long as they're not bothering us, why don't we just kick them right along? 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh no. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I'm all for it's Pride Month. Like, watch some good queer cinema. This sounds like something uh, that is a different story that you might not have heard before. You've seen enough of Miss uh, Whitewashing of Stonewall. So let's give the Mexican <laughs> film a try instead. Exactly, and it's it's really cool to like see like queer history from another country and like yeah. you know see what's going on. Like, because every country has queer history somewhere you know built in somewhere and it's cool to see those stories being told now yeah for sure i mean we are lucky enough to actually have some expanded offerings uh in terms of our cinema and arts these days so might as well take advantage of it i will have to check out this cuatro uno (laughs) i don't don't speak spanish but uh there's subtitles you can watch i mean it's shot beautifully the house that they live in i'm like this is the most amazing house i've ever seen like it just looks really really cool so if you like cinema and like you know stuff like that it's a really good period piece um the sex scenes are insane which i thought was hilarious (laughs) 15 (laughs) minutes 15 minutes in you have like a 40 person orgy and i'm like what am i watching it's art you're it's watching art. art. It's art. <laughs> All right. Well, I am going to put that on my list of things to watch this June. And uh, maybe I will also do a little Googling and see if I can read some uh, some accounts of this story and learn a little bit more about the details because it sounds juicy. Juicy. I mean, you have a <laughs> powerful president who's going to, you know, father-in-law who's going to get rid of all your... Uh, crimes let's see what happens yeah i love the story of a corrupt politician it really uh, (laughs) it really warms my heart so (laughs) all right thank you for sharing now tell me what's going on in sports this week all right so moving on to my sports topic the 2021 french open is currently underway in paris and the tennis world was stunned when second seed naomi osaka announced on social media that she would be withdrawing for the tournament after being fined $15,000 and threatened with other sanctions when she skipped out on post-match media conferences. Osaka stated that she's currently dealing with bouts of depression and anxiety since winning her first Grand Slam in 2018 and is taking time away from the court to focus on her mental health. The 23-year-old four-time Grand Slam winner is currently the number one female tennis player in the world and the most paid female athlete of all time. Although Osaka is an introverted and shy, quote, child of the internet age, she is outspoken about current issues such as the Black Lives Matter movement. A person's mental health is just as important as taking care of one's physical body. I wish Osaka well and hope that she knows how brave her decision was. We sometimes forget that superhuman athletes are in fact humans and deal with the same issues most of us face each day. All right, Laura, so do you have any thoughts on Osaka's decision? Are you keeping up with tennis and what's going on with Roland Garros? Um, Yeah, I a thousand percent support Naomi Osaka. Um, You know, I don't know why we think we are entitled to so much from these people, right? Like she is a tennis player. She's not a media darling. She didn't sign up to be a public speaker. She's a tennis player. I don't know why we think we um, are owed her time and her words and her thoughts after every match. Um, I think it's a bullshit rule that these athletes have to give press conferences against their will. I don't think the press conferences are that interesting. I don't think the press conferences add very much to the French Open. On the whole, losing Osaka playing in the French Open 
is a much bigger loss for that tournament than not having than having her play and not do press conferences. So this was a net loss for tennis, um, and it's ridiculous. I also have to say, like, I really I uh, applaud her. She's a young and um, you know shy by all accounts kid, and like, not everybody would have the strength to stand up for themselves because there's a lot of pressure coming down on her and this is her career and her profession and um so you know I I applaud that but it also for me really shit like focuses on an issue that I think really doesn't get talked about enough which is that this whole American way of the way that we all live and operate as it relates to our jobs um which is so different than any other country like oh yeah People in America do not take enough vacation time. Nobody uses all their sick leave. Nobody uses all of their vacation leave. People go to work sick and spread colds throughout the office because they have this like mentality that staying home from work when you're sick is somehow a weakness or makes you not a good employee. And we all seem to approach um, work as if we owe so much of ourselves to our job. And we, I think this whole country needs like needs to have a real reckoning with that and our obsession with capitalism and the way that the labor class is exploited in this country. And it's ingrained in all of us, this like fear of taking a day off. Um, and it shouldn't be, right? Like when you take a job, you are giving of yourself, you are selling your labor for compensation and for benefits and you should um, not feel like you need to sacrifice your mental health for your job, which is what they were demanding of Naomi Osaka. And they have no right to demand that of her. They, they have the right to expect her to play tennis, right? That's what she signed up to do. That's her job. And that's what she um, is getting paid for. And that's all that she owes them. So I hope that I, I've been really heartened and encouraged by how much support um, she's been getting online from really high name and high profile athletes and other individuals out, outside of athletics. And I think that's great, but I also think we all need to um, step back and internalize this a little bit and think, how do these issues sort of apply to your everyday worker in America, not just professional athletes? No, yeah, totally. Like, uh, yeah, her job is to play tennis. And so it kind of sucks that why are you penalizing her for stuff that is kind of the extra stuff? You know what? Oh, yeah, you would have to do a press conference. But, you know, any player who plays in these Grand Slam matches has to do one. Um, yeah, but, but it's, it's nonsense. Like, why? Nonsense. We don't, what, what, I don't know why do? we I don't know why we demand that of these people. It's yes. ridiculous. But, you know, like it's not like she's the first athlete to like high profile athlete to not want to do press like who was it Richard Sherman right like he refused to well, especially like after a match yeah and I and you know what like so the reality of it is right is like she would have paid that $15,000 fine and moved along right that she was willing to take the fine pay the fine which was the stated penalty for this so-called offense but that wasn't good enough for them either. They then made a big story out of it, threatened her with additional sanctions, told her that paying this fine isn't good enough, even though that was the deal, right? Like that was the stated 
uh, consequence of not doing the press conference, but because she had the gall to say that she would prefer to accept that consequence than do a press conference, they then changed the rules on her and made it into a big media spectacle. And that's why she had to withdraw from the tournament, not because of the $15,000 fine, right? She was prepared to pay that fine, but the press and then the tennis, the people, the powers that be in tennis and the people who run the French Open decided to make it into, change the rules on her after the fact and make it into a big deal. And that is just exploitation. Yeah, because it was uh, they, it was like a joint message from all the like Grand Slam tournaments that said, okay, we're going to fine you and you can't do this and you can't do that. You have to do these conferences. And she's like, no, I, it, 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 you could tell she felt uncomfortable. She's been dealing with stuff. And it's like, why are you pressuring her? One, she's also a kid. Why are you I mean, pressuring look, her? I mean, here's the thing. She's 24 years old. She's not a kid anymore. But it doesn't matter, right? Like being... A public speaker being a media personality, you know, is a stressful thing that not everybody is going to excel at and not everybody wants to do. And she clearly does not. And she, and again, I don't know why we think we're entitled to her thoughts immediately after performing her job, right? Whether she wins or loses, whether they want to talk to her about why she won or lost. First of all, what nonsense are these questions anyway? Like, what were you thinking when you missed that serve at the end of the game? Well, I was thinking, fuck, I didn't mean to miss that serve. (laughs) Like, what do you think? Stupid interview. So we don't need it. It, Like I say, it doesn't add anything to the tournament. You don't get very much out of it. And I bet you if you polled tennis fans, you'd be hard-pressed to find any who would say that they would rather not give up those stupid press conferences than give up having her play tennis in the, in the French. So. No. Yeah. It's definitely like a lose, lose for both. I mean, it sucks for her that she can't play, but it also sucks for ten- like that. Yeah, I mean, it's going to fuck up her ranking. It's going to, you know, and it's so, it's just nonsense. I, you know, but at the end of the day, again, I'm really glad she stood up for herself. I'm even more glad to see how many people have rallied behind her because I think that hopefully as a result of all of this, that the, you know, the tournaments are going to have no choice but to change their policies. Um, and that's also, the right thing. It's also a good reminder for people too, like, if you're going through something, if you have anxiety, depression, like reach out, talk to someone. Absolutely. You know, you're not alone. And don't do something that's going to be harmful to you. If you exactly. know, you know, if, if you know that that doing this press conference is going to have negative impact on your mental health, then don't make yourself power through because that's what somebody else expects of you. That's not the right thing. Don't do harm to yourself um, to try to please somebody who thinks that they're entitled to something from you. It's just, it's not, it's not good for you. And, and we should stop, we should really stop allowing people to exploit other people. That's what it comes down to, right? Like she signed up to play tennis, but that's not enough. They want more from her. And it's like, who the fuck do you people think you are? Like why? Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, it's a shame because, you know, she's, great she's fun to watch she's at the top of her game and she's the future of tennis if the if tennis doesn't fuck it up so 
sending love to Naomi Osaka. I hope that she is doing well. I hope that she is taking the time and she's off social media right now and not listening to all the people debating this issue. Um, and I hope that she comes back even stronger in the next tournament and that people learn to get their shit together and not try to exploit um, athletes or any other person in a labor situation for more than what they're entitled. Yeah, just wish her success. Hopefully she you know, gets back on it and uh, we'll see her in Tokyo, hopefully. 100%. And it's Pride Month, so what are we? What pride are we talking about at the intersection of sports and queer? All right. So for this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we're talking rainbows and fashion. The San Francisco Giants announced that they will be proudly wearing a patch on their uniforms that incorporates the progressive flag and trans flag colors, and the colors will be featured on the Giants' hats, a first for Major League Baseball and Major League Sports in general. Usually teams will sport the rainbow on an armband or circling numbers on their jersey. But the Giants tweeted an announcement of the new logo that they will debut and the meaning behind the colors. The Giants have been a longtime supporter of the LGBTQ plus community, and hopefully they will start a new trend among all the sports. All right. So, Laura, have you seen the patch? and Have you seen the new logo? And it's kind of freaking awesome that they're going to wear it. So that everyone has to see it on TV and everyone sees it in the stands and it's there, you know, on full day, you know, debut and full like focus for everyone who's going to be watching this game on Saturday. Yeah, 100 percent. It's very it's good. It's great. I'm glad to see that they built it right into the logo. It's not just a little armband or pair of socks. It's like prominently uh, displayed the entire logo. I mean, We've seen teams do this with, you know, camouflage logos for a military celebration. We've seen, you know, all different kinds of things. Um, Pride night has been being celebrated by the Giants for many years. So this was the next natural step. I'm not surprised that the Giants are out in front of this. Everything, all the great queer things come out of San Francisco these days. So um, congrats to the Giants on taking this uh, next step and yeah I hope that it doesn't take very long for it to follow I can't wait to see a rainbow Mets jersey in my closet <laughs> and on TV yeah of course I mean it's kind of cool because like again anyone who's gonna be watching that game is gonna be like oh what is this what's going on you don't know like who's gonna be watching that game and see you know the rainbow flag and then you have the the trans flag colors and then the brown and black stripe and the fact that they actually tweeted it out and said this is what each color means this is what it stands for and this is why we're doing it is such a strong and powerful message especially from a professional sports team uh there's still a few ml or uh, major league baseball teams that aren't that haven't done a pride night or aren't doing a pride night so hopefully they get to it um and i even like one of the things that we, we recently tweeted on our Team DC uh, Instagram was that the uh, uh, NFL actually redid all their logos with pride colors, which is kind of insane because it's the first time the NFL <laughs> has done anything for pride. Yeah, the NFL jumped right into the deep end first try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's very cool. We've talked about how important we think Pride Nights are and how important it is for these organizations to public make public statements about their appreciation of their LGBTQ fans. And this is just one more way 
to do that and to be even more visibly um, supportive of those fans and that community. And so obviously I applaud all of this. Um, and baseball is like the best summer thing, right? And summer is also, and it's pride. And so, yeah, we want more. And like I always say, I don't know anybody who doesn't love a rainbow. So slap a rainbow on it, make people smile. Let's do this thing. Um, some asshole on <laughs> my high school <laughs> my Facebook page the other day, like somebody like a building in our town put up a fried flag and somebody posted a picture of it on our high school alumni page and some idiot responded and said my pride flag is red white and blue and it just reminded me once again that even though I forget that there are people out there who actually still think that there's a problem with celebrating the community during pride month there are those people out there who either are ignorant of what it means to fly a rainbow flag or fly a trans flag or and or there are people who think it's silly or there are people who are outright opposed to it and so as long as those as long as there's one of those people out there i say we need more rainbows and we need to shove them in their face as much as we possibly can so, oh yeah definitely i mean it just <laughs> It just like recently happened. Like uh, my 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 cousin back in Texas, he's a he's a Baptist pastor now. Uh, posted this whole like, there's no such thing as pride, and you know like anti-gay message on his Facebook, and you know quoting Bible verses and stuff like that. And I was gonna respond to something kind of snarky, and I was just like, you know what? Um, I just put like a little GIF that was is it GIF? Is it GIF? I never what what the, the thing, the moving picture thing. Uh, I just posted it was just a happy pride with hearts. I was like, that's what you get. I could just be post a rainbow. But I you mean, know what? I'm not going I, to. On the snarky girl's comment about the red, white, and blue pride flag, I posted a, I'm going to say gif because I think it's graphic. But <laughs> I posted a gif of, you know, a girl wait, rolling her eyes. So, you know, whatever <laughs> you need to reply, reply to these things, go ahead and reply it. But when in doubt, fly a rainbow. Exactly. Whatever. If you're not sure what to do, just paste a rainbow on it. You're good to go. And you don't know how that's going to affect someone. You're going to see someone. <laughs> they're all going to be excited about it. So, yes, show off your rainbows and all your flags this June and all year long. Yeah. And if you need to throw some glitter at somebody, go for it. I support you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of Things Queer, Things Sports, and Things at the Intersection of Sports and Queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll share our interview with Team DC member club, the DC Frontrunners. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today, we are joined by Socrates and Mora from Team DC member club, the DC Frontrunners. Welcome, guys. How's it going? Hey, good evening. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're really glad to have you here. Um, so jumping right in, why don't you tell us what the front runners are and what y'all do? Yes, we are the DC front runners. We are a running, walking, and social club serving the LGBTQ plus community and our friends in the Washington, DC area. Um, currently under the pandemic, we are holding one Tuesday evening group run and one Saturday morning group walk um, each week. Both of these events meeting at 23rd and P Streets Northwest, close to DuPont Circle. Um, however, we're only currently allowing individuals with a paid membership with our club to join in these 
in-person events through an RSVP system on our website. Um, and we are only limiting these events to 17 members to stay well below the maximum outdoor gathering capacity set by the city. We'll raise these numbers soon, but you know, we're holding for now. Understood. Um, okay, so how fast and how far do I have to run if I want to join you on your group run? You can crawl if you would like. You can sprint if you would like. We have uh, all experiences and speeds. We have walkers. We've got sprinters. We've got people who run races regularly. We have people who only come and walk or run with the club, um, perhaps on a Saturday, perhaps only on Tuesday after work. Um, we also have a track program for our paid members, which can help you develop if you wish to build your speed or build your performance. Um, it's, it, we give you tips on how to be able to do that. And, but that's another benefit of our membership. All right. Good to know. Um, and how much is a membership and where would somebody go to sign up for that? Um, our membership is $25 for an individual, um, but we also have tiered memberships. We also have a student membership that's $10. And we have a family membership, um, household membership rather, that is $40. And you can check out our website at bcfrontners.org um, to sign up. Awesome, so in non-COVID times, how big uh, is your organization or how many people usually show up on a run? Um, on a Thursday or Tuesday night, those are typically our smaller events, and they're more in the range of 20 to 25, but our Saturday is our most popular. We usually have between uh, a dozen to two dozen walkers, <clears throat> excuse me, and upwards of 80 runners if the weather is really nice outside. Um, but even wow. on the colder days, we still have 30 to 40 people regularly showing up on ice cold days just to get out and do some running and be with their friends. We, we also have a Sunday morning run for our long distance runners um, who want to go 10 or more miles. It's mainly for people who are marathon training. Okay, great. And are all the runs right inside the district? Our runs are at 23rd and P Street Northwest near DuPont Circle. Um, during the winter times, we switch up our Tuesday evening runs to Union Station. And on occasion, we have excursions to different areas. We have that, oh, this is more like once a quarter. It's, it's regular, but not very regular. We'll go down to Navy Yard and we'll run uh, like four to eight miles on a loop over in that area. We've also done Virginia over through Crystal City, and we did one in Upper Northwest at one point, or up by the Maryland line. Great. So every once in a while, we'll change things up and go see some scenery and new sites. Yeah, it's always good to get a change of scenery once in a while. Um, do you guys as a club ever compete in races together? We participate in a lot of the local races. We also have people who will drive out of town, participate in various marathons, 10Ks, 5Ks, half marathons, uh, all kinds of distances. Um, Philadelphia is a very popular one. The New York City runs are very popular. 
Uh, we also have a lot of people who like to run per the Virginia Beach Half Marathon and the, D uh, I'm sorry, the Richmond Marathon. Okay. Uh, we also have people who go out to all kinds of the other states. There's some in Texas, Oklahoma. We have some members who are working on doing a marathon in every state. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So there's all kinds of different opportunities. So, but for the vast majority, most people are local. Got it. Yeah, and we do have um, we do have two race directors on our board that organize these local races that we all run together, and they do select some out you know the some of the out of state out of town races that you know, Maura was talking about as well. So that's how we all run together. And then there, of course, there's our big feature run in June. Well, typically June during non-COVID times, the Pride Run 5K. Okay, that so that's uh, the DC front runners host the Pride Run 5K. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, we hold that over at Congressional Cemetery, which might seem kind of like an odd place, but Congressional, <laughs> Congressional Cemetery actually hosts a lot of different events. There's morning yoga. There's go walk your dogs. There's the spook night around Halloween. And this is our big event. And we have up to 1,500 runners on our last official non-COVID event. Um, and there's a big party afterwards. We have uh, <clears throat> beverages available, typically beer and water and soda um, and refreshments. And we have a performance by our local, our club dance troupe. <laughs> We have an organized choreographer who performs for, we get the group together and they perform the, the pride parade and festival event as our dress rehearsal. Ah, um, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you a member of the dance troupe? I am. Socrates has been too. I'm, I'm retired. I did three years. I'm, 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 you know. <laughs> How much uh, dance experience or dance skill does, does uh, your dance club have? Uh, all kinds of variations, really. We have some people who are professional dancers. Uh, our, we have our own choreographer. We, but for the most part, it's people who want to have fun. And it's a lot of work. I'm not going to kid you because we usually get a song picked out and then with the choreographer put starts putting the the moves together and typically between six and eight weeks we pull this all off we train wow. we practice we rehearse typically once a week while we're starting out and then we get down to twice a week and then a little bit more often as we get closer to the event impressive but it's a lot of fun <laughs> and tell us what the front runners do with all the money you raise from the pride run so the Pride Run focuses on several different charities. Uh, Casa Ruby is a big one. Uh, Teens Run DC. Um, the Blade Run Foundation. The Team DC Scholarship Fund. Ainsley's Angels. Cool. But last year, uh, we donated over $40,000 to the six charities. Wow, that is impressive. Nice job. In spite of the pandemic. What kind of activities do y'all do with your members? Uh, let's see. We have, during normal times, <laughs> we have happy hours. Um, we get together for our anniversary potlucks. Uh, sometimes after some of the races, we do potlucks, like the big marathons. We'll do it. Uh, Marine Corps is a typical one. 
we also have um, an AIDS Memorial Garden off of Shoreham Drive, uh, which is off Rock Creek Parkway. And we have a tree planting area over there. We've replanted a bunch of trees to help uh, regreen the area. And we tend to those, we water them, we keep them growing. And we have a group that goes out and takes care of those. We also have the wine trips that we do. And tubing. Yes, tubing. Uh, (laughs) Some get out out of town trips. Yes. (laughs) Okay, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, You share a little bit um, personally for you, what, why the front runners is important to you or the impact that you think the front runners has had on your life. Um, I can honestly say the biggest thing that the DC Frontrunners has supported me with is, you know, encouraging me to have a healthier lifestyle. Um, when I first joined the group, I was very new to outdoor running and I only had finished one 5K at the time, which was actually the second annual DC Frontrunners 5K. Um, but nowadays I'm a lot healthier. I lost weight from running and walking and I've well over 100 road races, ranging from 5Ks to full marathons with the encouragement of the club. So it's been an amazing experience for me. All right, congratulations. Corey, do you wanna add anything? Yeah, uh, I do a lot of the races as well. Uh, We have uh, team get togethers before, we do photo ops before a lot of the local races. The Cherry Blossom is a very popular one. Uh, we have a huge contingent that participates with that one. Uh, the St. Patrick's Day runs, the Veterans Day runs, the Crystal City runs, many, many, many local ones where we get together and sometimes we'll go out afterwards, grab a drink or a beverage or food um, and have a good time with that. But another thing that we've also done is uh, participated with Ragnar. It's a relay program where we travel out of town. It's sort of like a runcation. We have gone to Cape Cod to Provincetown. We've gone to the Florida Keys. We've gone to uh, Pennsylvania, the Adirondacks, uh, and out to uh, wine country in California, the Napa Valley, which was amazing as well. And it's a group of 12 runners who basically live together for three days. mostly in a van. So you get to be very close with all these people, very intimate. And you learn a lot about the, the other members of the club. And we've formed a lot of great friendships and deepened some other ones that we had already forged. How long of a run are those relays usually? So the entire distance is usually upwards to 200 miles broken down over a total of 36 different legs, which can range in distance from two miles up to 12 miles. And each runner is responsible typically for running with a a full team of 12, is typically responsible for running three different legs. So you could run anywhere between 10 miles and 30 miles, depending on how the legs panned out. So it can be very nice and easy, or it can be very challenging. And typically the, the running occurs over a total span of 30 hours. So you run and then you get a break for about six to eight hours. Then you run again and repeat the cycle for the third leg. So it's, it's 
pretty intense, but, you know, depending on your level of participation, you can make it as just as challenging or as comfortable as you want it to be. That sounds, it sounds fun, sounds challenging, but it also sounds like you can make really good relationships with people. You get to know each other exactly. fairly well. <laughs> Yeah, we have a cool. great time doing those. All right. So um, I guess it's 2021. Um, why do you think it's important to have LGBTQ-focused running groups like the Front Runners as opposed to just any normal uh, running group? So one of the things that a lot of members of the LGBTQ community have res- reservations about is participating with the straight world. You know, they feel awkward. They don't feel like they can participate fully. Uh, They feel like they might be laughed at. Um, So we offer a place for those people. We, anybody can join the group. We have LGBTQ. We also have allies. So we are welcoming. While we're primarily an LGBT, we do have some allies. We have a few straight people in the group, which are very friendly with us and very supportive. so there's still a place for it. You know, while bars are dying off in a lot of sections of the country, there's still a big need for a community. And running is just one of those examples where we can do that. Gives people an active lifestyle without being judged. They can do whatever challenge they want to do. Distance, time, uh, exertion they can set their own goals and they can make new goals as they get better if they wish. Um, Socrates, do you want to add anything to that? Do you think it's still important in 2021 to have LGBTQ focused uh, social groups? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's our safe space to, you know, have, you know, have the family together to do, you know, do running and walking together. And, and it's, it, it feels comfortable, you know, yeah, personally for me <laughs> in broad right. strokes um can you give me a sense of the s- overall size of your group and the breakdown in terms of gender diversity um ethnic diversity things like that yeah i actually we have about um we're floating right above 350 members with a paid membership but we also have you know the non-paid members who still join us um but out of the 350 members with a paid membership, we have around 50 individuals that identify as women, um, around 300 that individuals that identify as men, and then we have one individual that identifies as non-conforming. Um, in this year, we've seen a lot of organizations turn their focus to issues of diversity, inclusion, and equity. Um, how do you think those values square with the front runners and you know yourself personally? Um, inclusivity is actually a topic that our club focused on during the late summer last year. Um, our club formed a working group made up of five members of including myself to learn how we can improve our club's diversity and inclusion and equity. Um, We held a virtual town hall and conducted a survey to learn more about our members and visitors experiences. Um, And from those responses, we received, uh, we created 
actually a set of recommendations uh, to help improve our diversity and inclusion in our group. We actually posted that whole report on our website um, under the about us section. And, you know, it goes, it, it shows that, you know, it's, we do have a lot of things that we could still improve on. I mean, we're always making strides and um, striving to be better regardless of how good we're doing, right? Absolutely. Uh, have you guys started talking about, or do you have a plan in place for this year's Pride Run? Or are you still um, waiting to see how the COVID situation develops? At the moment, we are, well, not at the moment. This year will be virtual. Um, there was just way too much unknown. We had to make a plan. But one thing that we are going to do is we're going to offer up about five different locations for suggested runs. And the, the run is going to be, since it's virtual, is going to be available over a total of about, uh, was it 15 days, which yeah, is going to include three weekends. So people will have three weekends to be able to complete the run, you know, in case the weather's bad on one. And they can select to go participate in one of these particular locations if they wish. Um, they can run it on their own in their own neighborhood. Uh, they're visiting relatives. They can run it there. We have people who were doing the Pride Run out of the country last year. We'll probably have a few more of that this year. Okay, very cool. And will it be in June? Yes, in June, June 2021. Great, thanks. Socrates and Maura, I want to thank you for making the time to talk with us today. We learned a lot about the front runners, and um, I bet you there's somebody out there listening who's looking for a, a running buddy. And if they want to hook up with you guys, can you just give us your... um, website, social media handles, any other information about where people can find you? Yes, we are located at www.dcfrontrunners.org. And we're also located in Facebook, um, DC Frontrunners. And then our Instagram and Twitter handles are at DC Frontrunners. So easy to remember. And email is info at dcfrontrunners.org. All right. Awesome. Very good. Um, Thanks so much again. We really appreciate it and hope to get to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Yes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston for the design of our logo. Also, our music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.